0: I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I recently received two phone calls from my dad. Uh, the first was a few weeks ago. My younger brother was uh, Luke. Uh, he'd gone rock climbing with some friends up near Leavenworth for the weekend. And so I answered the phone, and my dad's first words were, Luke is okay. And that was comforting, assuring, but also startling. What happened? Why why are you telling me this? As my dad continued, he went on to share that not my brother, but the friend he was climbing with, had experienced an equipment failure. And he fell 40 feet to the ground, landed on his head and immediately died. And my brother was there when this happened. And this is shocking and traumatic and and a total freak accident. I mean, many people go climbing their entire lives and never even witness something like this, much less know someone who has experienced this or been in the thick of it, And yet my brother was there, and it was a week ago that he attended his friend's funeral and mourned his tragic death. The second phone call I got from my dad was earlier this week. On Wednesday morning, my phone rang and my dad told me, We lost grandpa. My grandpa passed away this past Wednesday morning, about 7 o'clock our time, 9 o'clock central time, where he lives. He passed away with his two sons, my dad and my uncle, on each side of him, along with their wives. And he departed. And this loss was not so shocking. My grandpa was 91 years old. He's not been well for a few months. In fact, my, my parents just flew back down to Texas uh, a week ago because they thought that the end might be near. It's almost as though my grandpa was waiting for them to arrive before departing. And so this loss was not so sudden, but, but it's still death. Death. And so tomorrow, Caitlin and I are going to be flying down to Houston for the funeral this week to be with my family and remember my grandpa. And so each of these phone calls that I've gotten just recently in the past month say something about the world that we live in. That in this life, death is never very far away. Many of you know this all too well. You too have received phone calls. Whether about a grandparent, or a parent, or a friend, or maybe even a child. Or perhaps it was a phone call about your own health. We we know that death... Lurks just around the corner, even in our own bodies. And so when we think of this, life can feel really hopeless. Because whether it's young and sudden, or old and surrounded by family, death seems inevitable. Death is the end that we will all come to someday. And yet, death is not the end of the Apostles' Creed. The ancient summary of the faith that we've been exploring for all these weeks ends with the resurrection of the body and life everlasting And this is what we're reflecting on together this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is what we're going to be reading from this morning. And we'll be beginning in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this good news of resurrection, for the promise of life everlasting. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the we of verse 13, are writing to the Thessalonians to address really the very circumstances that we began with here this morning. You see, it seems like some of the Thessalonians have recently gotten a phone call. You know, there's some among them who had recently gone to sleep in death. And so the questions arose, what is to become of them? And how are we to live in the midst of death? And so they write, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And with this, they show us the real nature of hope and challenge many of our natural inclinations, right? So you see, one possible response to the reality of death is despair. This is to be without hope. There there really is no hope, right? In the end, we all die. Death seems inevitable. And so we sink into nihilism, right? That line from Bohemian Rhapsody, nothing really matters. Nothing really matters. We sink into despair, depression, hopelessness. This is one way of responding to death. What's the point? We all just die, right? But another response to death is denial. Now, on the surface, denial might actually sound like hope, right oh, they 're in a better place now. don't be sad, everything's going to be okay. right But these responses often come far too quickly, far too easily, and when they when they come so quickly and so easily they can really be a sort of false hope. Because though these may not outright deny death, in many ways, responses like this deny our experience of death, the very real pain of our loss. You see, if despair leads to sort of hopeless nihilism, nothing matters, well, then denial can lead to a cheap optimism, Everything's fine. It's okay, right? In this text, the instructions that are given here challenge both of these responses to death. You see, despair is to grieve without hope. And denial is to hope without grief. But the instruction given here is to grieve with Hope. To grieve with hope. You see, hope is not merely a cheap optimism that keeps us away from the pain of death. Rather, hope is a powerful truth that enables us to fully enter into the pain of death and enter it securely, to be able to bear it. You see, we are to be a people who grieve death. Just like Jesus grieved and wept outside the fr- his friend Lazarus' tomb. We are to grieve, but with hope. And so what is this hope that we grieve with? What is this hope? Well, this hope is the resurrection of the body and the life of everlasting. And this is what the rest of this passage that we have just read is all about. What is this hope that we grieve with, that we believe in? The the primary statement, the primary summary of this hope is found in verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Because Just just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so shall we be raised from the dead. That's the, the quintessential truth in this text. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, so shall we be raised from the dead. There is much that is unknown, much that is mysterious about the ultimate day of resurrection that is to come. But we can gather clues about it. By looking at Jesus' resurrection. What was Jesus' resurrection like? Because this is what we have to look forward to. But but looking back at Jesus' resurrection actually offers a bit of critique to some of our modern theology about resurrection, about eternal life. It also critiques a good bit of, of ancient philosophy uh, back. When this text was written, you see, we've talked about the fact that the Apostles' Creed was formed in many ways to correct false teaching that had been going around. Right? You know, some people taught that Jesus was not really God, but merely a great teacher. And so the Creed declares He is God's Son, our Lord. Right? He is God. Uh, Others believed that Jesus was not really human, but but only a spirit uh, who kind of appeared to be human. Uh, And so the creed teaches us he was born of the Virgin Mary, and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. You see, he didn't only appear to have a body, he really did have a body. And so the creed corrects these, these false teachings, these false understandings that were present in those early centuries. And so in the same way, these final lines of the creed correct some false beliefs. You see, unlike our modern culture, most in the ancient world actually did believe in some kind of afterlife. Right? The, the, the point of these last two lines is not hate. There's life after death. Most people believed that. But what did they believe about it, right? The Greek philosophers wrote at length about the immortality of the soul, right? The soul will will live on. The soul will persist. And they wrote about this. Now, here's the deal. Many Christians today affirm this belief, maybe even have been taught this belief, You know, souls are ultimately immortal. However, this is the false teaching that the creed seeks to correct. This is the false teaching that the creed seeks to correct. You see, Christian faith does not teach the immortality of the soul, but rather the resurrection of the body. This is different This is something quite different. This is what's proclaimed in verse 14. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so shall we. We believe that Jesus was truly bodily resurrected. He wasn't just spiritually resurrected. Jesus' body was brought to new life. He was bodily raised. The resurrection stories in Scripture Show us this. right? After the resurrection, Thomas reached out and touched Jesus' hands, felt the scars. Jesus' body was raised to new life. After the resurrection, Jesus sits down and eats with his disciples. He actually eats bread and, and fish with his new body. We believe that Jesus was physically, bodily resurrected. And we believe this is true of us as well. Christian faith does not merely teach immortality of the soul, but the resurrection of the body. And inherent in this belief is, I think, another critique of some of our modern theology. Because by believing in the resurrection of the body, we also believe in the restoration of the world but the world is going to be restored. This is what the passage goes on to describe. Eternal life is not ultimately about our departure from the world, but Jesus' arrival in the world to ultimately restore it and renew it. This is the image we see in verses 16 and 17. It says, For the Lord himself Will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. See, the day of resurrection is ultimately about Jesus' arrival, not our departure. Now, you may look at verse 17 and go, wait, but it it says we go up into the clouds, right? We go up into the air, right? Let me illustrate it this way. I, I mentioned that tomorrow, Caitlin and I are flying down to Houston for my grandfather's funeral. When you go to the airport, there are two areas that you can go to. Departures and arrivals, right? Now, you go to the departures terminal if you're leaving, if you're going away somewhere. But you go to the arrivals terminal whenever you're meeting someone who's coming, right? In this passage, God's resurrected people are not going to the departures terminal to leave the earth. They're going to the arrivals terminal to welcome Jesus. That's what we see happening here. The language used in this passage is the very same language that is used in the ancient world to describe the arrival of a king who's coming to a city, often coming home after the victory of a battle, right? A trumpet would sound to announce that the king is coming. And so the city gates would be thrown open and all the people would flood out of the gates, not to vacate the city, but to welcome the king and come back in with him. This is the way that it will be on that last day when the dead are raised and the trumpet sounds. We will all rise and greet Jesus in the air to welcome him back to finally restore the world to the way that it was meant to be. This is the resurrection of the body, the restoration of the world. And this is ultimately what is meant by the phrase, life everlasting. You see, the world everlasting or eternal does not merely describe quantity, life that just goes on and on and on, but rather it describes quality, an altogether different kind of life. An altogether new way of living. That's what everlasting life means. And yet it's often not really what we think when we think of everlasting life. Let me show you what I think we often imagine when we think of everlasting life. When I was little, there was a popular show, kids' show, that was on and every single episode ended like this. This is the song that doesn't end. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that doesn't end. Yes, it goes on on. On on, my friend. Some people okay, if you guys are going to keep that up, I want you to far, rise. far away. Go, go, go. No, no, no. This keep on in going. In it. Yes, it on on and on my this is the song that... Charlie Horse! <coughs> <coughs> no, no, stop, stop, stop. Charlie, stop. I want you to go away. <coughs> <coughs> go away. And don't slam the door. <laughs> Any of you remember lamb of you seen that, right? You know, you know that song is going to be stuck in your head for the rest of the day, right? You're welcome. Uh, sometimes this is the idea we have in our head when we think everlasting life, eternal life. It's the life that doesn't end. It just goes on and on and on, and it seems exhausting, right? That's as exciting as Sherry Lewis was, right? How do I turn you off? How do I make you stop? This is the last time, surely, right? This is how we can feel sometimes about this idea of some sort of never-ending, everlasting life. In fact, in a much more recent television show called The Good Place, this is illustrated. I don't know if any of you have seen this show. It, it's a show that is set in the afterlife, and it is really excellent, right? It explores all these fascinating philosophical and ethical questions while also being a hilarious comedy. It's great. Uh, the, good, the Good Place is what it's called, but ultimately, when the characters finally get to the good place, they find that everyone who's there and has been there for ages and ages and ages, are just kind of tired. And they're exhausted. And they're bored. And this is sometimes what we can think of when we think of eternal life. But I want you to hear this. Life everlasting does not mean life ad nauseum. Life Everlasting does not just describe quantity, but an entirely different quality of life. Eternal life will not be exhausting, but endlessly exhilarating. One of my favorite creative depictions of this is from C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. Right. The series, at the very end, it concludes with this journey farther up and farther in, where each step of the way, they encounter and discover a world that is very similar to what they've seen before, but it's bigger and more beautiful every single step than they'd ever imagined. Farther up, farther in. And the world just continues expanding and becoming more beautiful, more incredible than they'd ever thought possible. You see, everlasting life is not a life marked only by the immortality of the soul and an escape from the world while we float around in some kind of disembodied heaven playing harps or something. No, it is a life marked By the return of Christ, the resurrection of the body, and the restoration of the world. Life as it was meant to be. The life everlasting is is described this way in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. See, just like 1 Thessalonians, here we don't see people departing from the world and floating away, but rather God arriving in the world to restore it and to make all things new. And I love this, right? At the beginning of the Creed, we confess that God is Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The opening lines of Scripture God created the heavens and the earth. And God has no intention of discarding His creation. He has no intention of getting rid of it. It says that God makes all things new, not God makes all new things. God is not like us. When something breaks, we throw it away and order a new one on Amazon. This is not what God does. When something is broken, he doesn't toss it. He does the hard work of restoring it and making it new again. He is making all things new. And this is good news for us. And it's good news for the world. Listen, I'm younger than most of you. And yet, earlier this week, Thursday morning— after breakfast, I got up from the table to put uh, dishes away in the dishwasher. And when, when I bent down to do that, I don't know what happened. I pulled something in my back, and it has been giving me fits ever since. Right? I did nothing but put away the dishes. And, and for days, I've been sore. Right? Our bodies ache. Amen? Anyone? Right? Our bodies ache. And yet, we believe in the resurrection of the body. There is coming a day that our bodies will be new again. There will be no pain. Later this week, I'm going to be gathering with my family and we're going to be mourning the death of my grandfather. But we believe in life everlasting. There is coming a day when every tear will be wiped away and death will be no more. Look, many of you are going to work this week, and work is exhausting, right? You're tired. By the time you get to Friday or whenever your weekend is, you're just ready to lay down. But there is coming a day when God will restore the world, and we will no longer grow tired, exhausted, and old, because everything will be new. We won't be able to grow old. We will continue to be exhilarated and renewed each day and live life as it was meant to be. And this changes everything for us, not just till that day. This changes everything for us now. Because God's kingdom is already breaking in. God has already started the renewal of all things. And this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a people who join God in this renewal and restoration of the world. This means that our work, the things that we do right now, is not in vain. Because death is not Inevitable anymore. Life is inevitable. Life is what we have to look forward to. This is what we pray for every week that His kingdom would come, that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The restoration and renewal of all things. This is our faith. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is our call in the world now. We join him. Life is what we have to look forward to. The resurrection of the body. Life everlasting. Amen. And so as we come to a close, I want to invite all of you together. Let us say these words of the creed together. Amen.